Well, how you guys doing tonight? You guys doing good? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. You guys sounded good. That was pretty cool. Um, you guys got your Bibles? Hey, your Bibles? Let me see your Bibles. Oh, there you go. The old I left, bought a new Bible but left it at home trick. I know how. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, man, that one's that one's a classic. Classic. Oh well, hopefully the dog doesn't eat the Bible. Uh, I was in a place one time though where uh, a kid during a sermon started eating his Bible. That was really fun. Uh, whoa, hello. That paper must taste really good. Um, my but, dog uh, actually did eat. My sister's at work. Oh, ooh, okay. Well, so, sometimes the excuse works. Um, well, I feel a little out of place because uh, I can't remember the last time I preached in like gym shoes and gym shorts and like. Uh, yeah, in a hoodie. It feels different, but it feels comfortable. So we're rocking and rolling with it. You guys, uh, if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're actually going to be in chapter 4 tonight, uh, so that's really fun, uh, cruising along through this great book, um, just a little review from last week, uh, we looked at how this book can be broken down into three distinct parts, uh, and that was this, uh, this labor of love, uh, this, or, or, or a work of faith, a labor of love, and a patience of hope, uh, and we are now moving from the work of faith into the labor of love. Uh, portion of, of, of this book. Remember, Paul is writing this letter from Corinth to the church here in Thessalonica, a church that had been established in three weeks. Uh, Paul going there, as Acts chapter 17 tells us, he goes, he preaches in the synagogue for uh, three Sabbaths, and then he leaves the town under some not-so-happy circumstances, because uh, there were some lewd men of the baser sort uh, who were there in the town. Uh, and they were rabble-rousers, and they were like, hey, you know what, let's get Paul. But Paul was already gone. So they did some things to Jason, one of Paul's buddies. Um, and so then Paul, he leaves, he goes uh, from there, and, and he continues to spread the word. Uh, and we're going to look tonight uh, where Paul ends up uh, before he writes this letter. So there's some really cool things uh, to be noted there from a uh, geographical standpoint, from a historical standpoint, and from a biblical standpoint. Uh, but we are to remember that Paul is writing this letter a year after his time in Thessalonica to the church in Thessalonica, uh, a mature church, a church, that was, uh, a church that was functioning. It had believers that were mature believers, believers who were operating in faith, hope, and love three distinct signs of someone who is uh, a, a true follower of Christ, someone who is a mature follower of Christ, is someone who has that work of faith, that labor of love, and that patience of hope. And we can see that broken down for us in the tail end of verse 9 of chapter 1, where it says that they turn to God from their idols to serve the living and true God. So they turn, that work of faith, and now they are living for that true God, that is that labor of love, and then verse 10 says, and to wait for his son from heaven, uh, that is that patience of hope. We have hope as believers, hope is the absolute expectancy of good to come. We have a hope in a future with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in heaven. If you put your faith in Jesus, then your hope 
is heaven. And remember from the first week, with that in mind, with heaven being our hope, with heaven being our future, we can live backwards from the perspective of, hey, I'm going to heaven. Now I can live in such a way that life makes sense amongst all the turmoil and the chaos that there is. Uh, for those sitting in the front row, I just launched a big projectile of spit. And now I understand why everyone sat in the <laughs> second row. Uh, so sorry to uh, our wonderful interns who are in the front row. Great, great, great. Um, pick up with me, if you will, uh, as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So remember Paul writing this letter. This is the oldest uh, piece of uh, uh, writing from the New Testament. Uh, remember, the New Testament is not chronological, uh, but this is our earliest letter we have from Paul, probably the first letter that he has written. And this is what he says in the third chapter of this letter. He says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, to our fellow, uh, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. For, in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, we thank you that your word is perfect, God, that your word is true, that your word transcends time, that your word is relevant no matter what century we live in. Uh, God, your word is relevant no matter what culture we live in. God, we thank you that your word uh, speaks to us. God, we thank you that your word uh, is sharper than any two-edged sword cutting through the bone and the marrow the um, and God, through, through the soul and the spirit, God, to reveal to us the motives and the intents of our heart. Uh, God, we thank you that your word is unchanging. Uh, God, we thank you that your word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, we thank you that your word uh, endures forever. When the grass of the field and the lilies of the field, they fade away, your word endures forever. And God, we are told in, in your word that we are blessed when we study your word, that we are blessed when we read your word. Um, and God, we just pray that those very things that were promised to the psalmist, uh, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, God, we, we pray that tonight you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak to us from your word and through your word. And God, that each and every single one of us, that we would be inspired by what your word has to say. God, we would be encouraged by what your word has to say. God, that we would be built up in our most holy faith. And God, that we would be challenged by your word. God, I pray, like John already prayed, that, that, that not a one of us would leave here unchanged, but God, all of us would be changed by the power and the renewing washing of the word of God. Uh, God, I pray that none of these would be my words, but God, that you would speak through me. Anything that would be of me, God, may it fall on deaf ears or may I not even be able to get it out of my mouth. But God, that your perfect word would come through. God, we want to have an encounter. We want to have an experience with you and God. So as we look at your word tonight, God, may your God-breathed words come to life, God, as we just dive into the scriptures and see what you have to say to us uh, through your Holy Spirit, through Paul, to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, so God, we just thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. 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 Um, God's word is, is something that is... Uh, well, to, to put it lightly and to, to, to 
to really underplay it. God's word is pretty epic. Uh, I mean, that's that does a very bad job at describing how amazing God's word is. And I think when we uh, when we spend time just in prayer and when we spend time in our personal prayer life, uh, as we spend our own personal time reading God's word, we should thank God for His word. Uh, how many of you have friends who maybe you haven't seen uh, in a little while? Maybe a few months, maybe a few years? Uh, have you ever had a friend call you out of the blue? And, and a friend call you out of the blue and just say something nice to you, talk to you on the phone, be like, hey, I was thinking about you, I missed you. Anyone ever been there? Yeah. That makes you feel pretty happy, doesn't it? And you want to thank them for calling. Hey, thanks for touching base with me. Thanks for checking in on me. And that's what God's word is. God he, he, he's always there. It's not like he's gone away on vacation. But when we approach God's word, knowing that this is his breathed word, that, that, that we are having a communication with God, uh, we should thank God for communicating with us. I mean, let's be real. God's got some pretty big fish to fry. Uh, he created the entire universe. He's all places at all times. He's all-knowing. There's a lot of things going on in this world that could draw God's attention away from us, yet he takes the time to meet with us individually and personally. So that's pretty pretty stinking cool. And uh, and I just want to uh, draw our attention to that, 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 that we serve a God who loves us and he's given us his word uh, as, as an encouragement, uh, as a way uh, to know how we ought live our lives. Uh, and we should not neglect time in God's word. Uh, it is imperative that we, as followers of Christ, we spend time in God's word. We are to soak up God's word like a sponge soaks up water. Uh, Jesus tells the woman at the well that he has water that she knows not of, and that if she drinks of that water, she will thirst no more. Uh, this is the word of God. This is the living water, the word of God. And, and, and if we allow God's word to wash us, if we allow God's word uh, to refresh us, if we allow God's word to rejuvenate us, then out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth will speak. And... I don't know about you guys. I, I heard beforehand uh, so some of the guys talking about video games, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of information there. They're talking about different techniques and different cheat codes and all that stuff. That's that's super cool, and, and, and that's there. It's it's in the recesses of who they are, and when they start talking about it, it's drawn to the forefront. And maybe you haven't played the video game in three, three, two, two, three, four years even, but. Those emotions are evoked and they come back and you're able to draw those things right off the top of your mind. It's amazing how the human mind works. And if we fill our heart, if we fill our mind so much with God's word, when situations arise in our life, that will be what comes to the forefront. When we begin to have discussions about life situations, when there's life and death, when there's big decisions that need to be made, if we are saturated in God's word, if we are... Um, so uh, in tune and intertwined uh, and, and just enveloped by God's word that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth will speak. And here's the really cool thing. We're told that this is the word of life. And if you have it in your heart, and you begin to speak it out, you can speak life into people's situations. You never know what someone's going through. Maybe they're having a terrible day. Maybe you just you see him in the grocery store and the Holy Spirit prompts you and you just drop a part of a, a verse, you know, and, and it builds them up. You, you may never know what it does for someone, but if you allow God's word to speak through you, uh, it does some amazing things. Maybe when you're struggling with sin, maybe when you're struggling with fear, maybe when you're struggling with, I don't know what's going to happen next. God's word has something 
for every situation in our life. Maybe you're feeling like, ah, I don't know what's coming. I'm, I'm afraid of what's next. Hey, Psalms chapter 34, verse 7 says this. The angel of the Lord encamps around the righteous, and he hears our cry. Oh, that, that we can speak God's word into every situation in our life. Uh, the interns uh, and, and the staff pastors uh, today, we were looking at Psalms chapter 20. And uh, we're memorizing some verses from Psalm 20. Here's the cool thing. Uh, the interns here at Hillside and the pastoral staff at uh, Hillside, we're memorizing, uh, on average, uh, four to eight verses every single week. Uh, and and we're, we're doing it for ourselves, but we're also doing it for you guys. Uh, so, so it can be an example um, that we should be memorizing Scripture. And in Psalm chapter 20, uh, it's, it's super cool. Psalm chapter 20, uh, verses 7 and 8 tell us that some... Some people, there are many people who trust in their horses and trust in their chariots, but we remember the name of the Lord, and those who trust in their horses and their chariots, they will fall, but those who remember the name of the Lord, they shall stand. And uh, this life has a lot of things that we can trust in. It has a lot of different things that we can trust in. But if we trust in anything but God, we will fall. But if we remember the name of the Lord, we'll stand strong. How do we remember the name of the Lord? Spend time in His Word. Spend time in his word. Have communication. Have relationship with God through his word. Because it's like that sponge. If we soak up the, the word of God like that sponge, uh, a soaking wet sponge is super useful in a dirty kitchen. But a dry, crusty sponge is good for nothing but a garbage can. And that's what our lives are when it comes to God's word. If we're not soaking up God's word, we're not useful. We are not effective. But if we spend time soaking up God's word, God has some pretty amazing things for each and every single one of us as we look uh, to, to what comes next. So uh, that has nothing, honestly, to do uh, with the sermon tonight. Uh, I just I felt like the Lord was was prompted. Hopefully that encourages one of you, maybe all of you. Um, but let's be in God's Word. All right, now to the sermon. Now to the part you all came to hear. Um, this is what it says uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. This is Paul speaking. He says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we came through, uh, or, or we, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. Um, Paul says, therefore, and every time we see therefore in the word of God, uh, we, we need to ask ourselves one question. Uh, when you see the word therefore, you ask yourself the question, what is it there for? And, and, and what Paul is saying, when he's saying therefore here, he's recalling what he had said in the previous chapters when he talks about how they're, uh, their work of faith came into action. When he talks about how their labor of love came into action, and then he's breaking down some things. Hey, you guys have a hope. And he says, you guys were established. It was great. We did all this work among you. You remember that I wasn't a burden to you. We did all these great things, and we ministered together as brothers. Uh, I, I gave words to you that were encouraging yet chastening uh, like a father, and I nourished you like a mother, and, and I exemplified God to you. He says, therefore... When we could no longer endure it. Man, we wanted to be with you. We miss you. We wanted to hang out with you. We can't bear it anymore. We got to stay in Athens, but we're sending our boy Timmy to you. And so that's what he does. They send Timothy, the brother, the minister, the fellow laborer of the gospel of Christ. They send Timothy back to uh, Thessalonica from Athens. Now you see Paul. Uh, if we were to go back and we were to look at Acts chapter 16, 17, and 18, we'd see that Paul, they had been uh, hanging out in, in the upper regions 
of Asia and they wanted to go deep into Asia and, and spread the gospel, but the Holy Spirit was restraining them. And Paul's like, man, we really want to go, but the Holy Spirit's restraining us. What do we do? God, I thought you told us to go into all the world. Man, why are we just being told to wait? I want to go. God says, wait. God says, wait. I got something for you. I got something for you. Just be sensitive to me, and I will reveal a plan for you. And then Paul, he has this vision, and a man from Macedonia comes, and the man from Macedonia says, hey, come to us in Macedonia. Teach us the gospel. And Paul says, boom, that's why God told me to wait. We're going to Macedonia. And he goes there, and they go to Macedonia, first to Philippi, then from Philippi to Berea, and then they go through uh, Amphipolis and Achaia and all these other really cool places that none of us know how to pronounce because we're not Greek. And then he ends up in Thessalonica. He's there for three weeks, gets draw, uh, driven out of the city. He continues to travel, and he ends up in Athens. It's a really cool story, and there's a sermon wrapped up here. Uh, and I know we're going to be going through the book of Acts sometime in the next 15 years, so we'll hear it then. Um, but, but Paul, he goes to Athens, and he goes, and we see that Paul establishes churches everywhere he goes. But when Paul gets to Athens, uh, he takes a different approach. Uh, he, he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to use my Greek philosophy, and I'm going to work with these Athenians. These are like the all-stars of philosophy. They know what's going on. Let me appeal to them on an intellectual level. And so Paul presents the Christian worldview with the philosophical pantheon worldview, and they, and, and they collide, and there's a collision. And he ends up, he, he, he goes to the temple, and they have an altar to the unknown God, and Paul begins to break down, this is the unknown God. And the unknown God is the God who created everything. And the unknown God uh, sent his son, Jesus, so that we could, and he breaks down the gospel for him. And they're like, all right, cool, man. Jesus sounds great. We'll just add him to all our other gods. Super cool. We need a God. Like, we need a God for this. We need a God for that. We already have the God for the grapes. We already have the God for the wine. We already have the gods for all the other good stuff. Might as well have one with a name that we didn't know. Here's Jesus. And Paul's like, man, bummer. And, he, and we don't have, historically, Paul establishing a church in Athens. We see that there were a few who converted. Uh, there, there was a guy by the name of Dionysus, the Aeropagiate, whatever that cool name is. Uh, if, if any of you want a nickname for a kid named Dionysus, the Aeropagiate, don't actually do that. We'll get made fun of. Uh, but we don't see Paul establish a church. And so what he ends up doing is he goes on to say that I have, uh, when, he, when he gets to Corinth, his approach in Athens was to appeal to the philosophical, to the intellectual, to appeal to them with reason. What he says, when, when he gets to Corinth, he's like, you know what? What we believe, it's foolishness to those who don't believe. But to those whose hearts are ready, it is the power that brings life. And so what he says is he says, I, I, I resort to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. I can talk about philosophy. I can talk about science. I can talk about history. I can talk about anything that's intellectual. But all of that pales in comparison to Christ and him crucified. And we see he establishes a church there in Corinth. Now, there's a lot of problems with the church in Corinth. We're not going to talk much about that because we're talking about the church in Thessalonica. But go read uh, 2 Corinthians if you want to see Paul lay the smackdown uh, on a church that was doing some messed up stuff. Some really messed up stuff, like sons sleeping with their moms because they thought it was worship. Like, really messed up stuff. Uh, and Paul lays the beat down. Uh, luckily, the church of Thessalonica, they weren't dealing with this kind of stuff. And Paul, he's hanging out in Athens, him, Sylvanus, and Timothy. And they, they're just like, man, we want to go back to Thessalonica. We were only there three weeks. We normally hang out with them a long, long time. 
when Paul was in Corinth, he was with them for 18 months. That's like a year and a half before he moved on. Compare 18 months to three weeks. Big difference. Paul's like, I want to hang out with my Thessalonican friends again. So he sends Timothy back to them. Now let's look at Timothy real quick. This is what it says in verse 2. It says, and we sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God. That word minister there uh, is, is the Greek word uh, diokinesis. Everyone say diokinesis. Diokinesis. Now diokinesis uh, is the Greek word that we get the English word deacon from. Uh, deacon, uh, we see first mentioned in the book of Acts, uh, and it's the same Greek word, diokinesis, and literally translated it means table server or table waiter. So someone who is to uh, wait on the people to serve all. Uh, in, 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 in other translation of the word diokinesis, it means servant. It means a humble servant. Uh, and so that's the same word we get minister uh, from. And so it's kind of a, a contrast uh, to, to the way things are uh, in many churches today where the pastor uh, gets special privilege. Uh, he, he goes to Home Depot and the guy's like, oh, yeah, he's my pastor. Give him his lumber for free. Uh, like, like, man, that would be kind of cool, but it doesn't, doesn't happen to me. It happens to some people. Um, but here we see that the pastors are the ones who are to be doing the serving. Uh, and, and I think at Hillside, uh, the leadership, they, uh, they exemplify this really well. Uh, you'll see on Sunday morning after church, you'll see Pastor Dave in the trenches helping tear down stuff uh, with everyone else. We, as, as pastors, we as ministers, we are to be servants first. Servants and shepherds, and that's here exactly what Timothy was. He is a brother and a fellow diokinesis, a table waiter, a server, a minister, a deacon of God. And then it says a fellow laborer. Um, that word fellow laborer there literally means brother in arms. So like fellow laborer, if Dan's doing work, Timothy's right next to Dan. He's doing work. They're doing the same thing. They're working hard together. Paul said he was a fellow laborer with the Thessalonican church just in the previous chapter. He says... I didn't bring a burden onto you. I worked for my wages. I didn't ask for money. I worked. I worked. I worked among you. You know what manner of men we were among you. And so here he sends Timothy, this awesome stud of the gospel, back to uh, the, Thessalon uh, the, the Thessalonians uh, to get a report on how they were doing. And he says this, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Now, Timothy was an all-star. Uh, he was young which is pretty darn cool. Uh, Paul writes him two letters that we have in the New Testament. They're pastoral letters. He's, he's saying, hey, Timothy, you're the next generation. I'm going to commission you. Here's some cool things. Let no one despise you because of your youth. Do this. Establish elders. Blah, blah, blah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Go read First and Second Timothy. It's great stuff. Uh, and Timothy goes on to pastor one of the largest churches in the first century. So Timothy's kind of a stud. But he started out as a table server, as a runner. He's running from Athens over to Thessalonica to get a check to encourage, to build up, and to establish those. So he's a pretty good Bible teacher also. He said that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. Now Paul jumps uh, to, to a portion uh, of Scripture and to a concept uh, that can be maybe strugglesome uh, for people, strugglesome for the believer. Uh, and, and it's this concept of affliction. It's this concept of tribulation. It's this concept of, 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 of trials and hard times. And how are we to act when these hard times come? So often we hear a gospel that's taught, hey, become a Christian and life's great. 
it gets so easy. All you got to do is put your faith in Jesus and he'll, he'll make you prosper. Things will go good for you. Man, you want to be a Christian because life is so awesome. Well, it is awesome. It is awesome. And it's all in the perspective. But it's not easy. It can still be awesome, but not easy. The life of a believer is not one of powder puff and cake and awesome fun like that. No. We're told that we're going to face tribulation. We're told that we're going to face trials. Yeah, powder puff and cake. That's not like... it was. It's supposed to be fluffy. That, uh, that's what I was going for. Uh, yeah, fluffy would have been just a better word to use. Um, but, but, but that's not what Christianity is. We were never told, hey, come unto me. Jesus speaking, come unto me. I'm going to make life super easy. You're never going to have to worry again. No, he says, hey, you're going to face trials. Remember, I face trials. You're going to face trials also. And, um, and we're told a lot of things throughout Scripture about these trials and how we to uh, how we are to uh, react to them. Uh, he told Timothy, and he sent Timothy to the church in Thessalon- uh, Thessalonica uh, to encourage people that they would not be shaken by these afflictions. Um, we see in, in uh, Acts that they faced many afflictions. Uh, people being dragged out into the street. Uh, Acts chapter 17, Jason and his family being dragged out into the street. We see Paul who faced affliction and persecution on his way from Philippi through Thessalonica all the way into Berea. You see those lewd men of a baser sort that we're talking about, these malicious men that the Philippians riled up to, to cause problems. They chase Paul out of Philippi they catch up to Paul in Thessalonica, drive him out of Thessalonica, chase him all the way down to Berea, chase him out of Berea. They chase him all the way down to Athens. These people are causing trouble. And Paul's like, man, I can't get a break. But he says this. He says, for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. Paul understood, and, and, and we can only believe based off of Paul's statement here, that Timothy and Silas and Titus and John Mark and Luke and Barnabas that all these guys who traveled with uh, Paul at, at various times, they knew that trials were coming, and they knew they were appointed to trials. If you remember the story of, uh, of Paul when he was still Saul uh, on the road to Damascus, remember? Jesus shows up to him, and he knocks him off the horse, and, 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 and Paul's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm the Lord who you're persecuting. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? Saul's like, oh my, I'm sorry. Like, I'm going to live my life for you. He gets blind, and the very next scene, we see God give this guy by the name of Ananias uh, a vision and says, hey, you're going to have this guy named Saul come to you, nurse him up, make him well, so that he may know the things that he will have to endure, the hardships that he will endure for the gospel's sake. Paul knew from the moment he gave his life to Jesus, his life was not going to be easy, but that it was going to be a life of much trial, of much tribulation, of much hardship, but it was going to be for a purpose. It was not going to be wasted time. It was not going to be wasted energy. It was going to be for a purpose. It was going to be for the furtherance of the gospel. So much so that when Paul, uh, Paul writes to the church in Rome, this is what he says. This is a portion of scripture I think everyone should have memorized. Uh, so if you have a pen, write it down. If you have a Bible, Fold the page over so that you have it marked, but Romans chapter 5, and Romans chapter 5 says this, picking up in verse 3, it says, Not only that, but we also glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces 
hope. The absolute expectancy of good to come. But it goes on to say this. It says this, and, and this is the most like crazy, awesome part about it. Now hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Paul says, hey, glory when your tribulations come. When things get tough, don't look at it as a, oh man, my life just sucks. I don't know what to do. Man, God just kill me now. He says, no. Be super stoked about it because your tribulations, they're going to produce perseverance. And not only perseverance, but those perseverances, they're going to produce character. Character produces hope, and hope, the hope of a future with God, it does not disappoint. It's absolute. It's going to happen. Tribulation produces character. You see, you actually never know who you are until life gets crappy. Because you can, I'm doing good. Hey, things are great. But if life sucks and you crumble, were you ever good? No. Who we are in the moments of utter despair, that's who we truly are. And as followers of Christ, we don't have to be disparaging. We have a hope, and that hope is Jesus. And we can rest assured that when the trials come, when the tribulations come, that we're going to be okay. God's going to pull us through. He promises to sustain us through the good and through the bad. A.W. Tozer, the great Christian writer of the 20th century, he said this, You can never be greatly used by God unless you have been greatly hurt. You cannot be greatly used by God unless you have, unless you have been greatly hurt. Because it is in those times of great hurt, of great anguish, of great despair, of great transgression, that God molds us and God shapes us and He will use us for the better on the other side of it. We see in Scripture all the time, Paul talks about how our life as a follower of Christ is like gold being refined by fire or silver being refined by fire. It is through those heat-up moments that the impurities get drawn to the surface and God takes them away because God is continuously purifying us, sanctifying us, making us more and more into the image that He has created us to be, more and more holy like him. He tells us, be holy for I am holy. In order for us to be holy, he's got to bring some things out of us. How does he do that? Trials, tribulation, hardship. We're also told in scripture, we're given this awesome example of, of wine. And, and, and the way wine was done and made back then, it wasn't made with cool machines like it is today. They literally had big old holes in the ground they dump a bunch of grapes. They wouldn't pick the grapes and put them in there. They just throw the entire grapevines in there. Then they'd send out some dudes, some diokinesis down into the grapevine. They just stomp around all day long, just doing their thing, stomping around, squishing the wine, squishing the wine. If you ever want to see a funny YouTube video and laugh, but then uh, be like, I shouldn't be laughing. That person looks hurt. There's a newscast, and this woman, she's up there stomping wine. She goes to step out, and she falls out, and she face plants like six feet. It really... It's a bummer, but uh, it's a good laugh. Uh, why, did, why does humanity laugh at other people's folly? Really a bummer. Uh, but that's the way they used to make wine. And, 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 and the juice would go down. They'd have a vat of it. But there'd be foot skin, toenail maybe. There'd be some, uh, some, some, some leaves, some, some broken up little chunks of, uh, of 
uh, dirt and uh, branches and all that stuff. That's not stuff I want to drink in wine. Fun yeah, germ, fun, like, who knows? Foot hygiene wasn't the greatest. Maybe there's, like, wart juice floating around. Like, disgusting stuff in your wine. And so what would they do? Well, you purify the wine. How do you do it? Well, you, you, you let the dregs, which are all those chunky stuff, let them float to the bottom. That's not a real thing. Let them fall to the bottom. You can't float to the bottom. That just defies gravity. I don't know how that happens. But let them sink to the bottom, and then you pour it out. You pour it out. And the dregs, they stay at the bottom. Throw out all the dregs. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Until you have, at the very end, a pure wine. So when life gets sucked, People can say, hey, poor me, poor me, I'm, woe is me, life sucks, poor me, P-O-R-R, P-O-O-R, poor, like, life sucks, or, faced with the same situation, you can say, poor me, P-O-U-R, say, hey, God, I know you're using this, pour me out, pour me out, pour me out, let those things, those impurities come out, and allow the purified, perfect wine that you have come through, so, when situations get rough, it's why James, why James tells us, count it all joy, brethren, when you face various trials. Count it all joy. God's got something on the other side. Paul had it worse. Paul really had it worse. He says, I was appointed to this affliction. If you look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, we just read them as a staff this morning. Uh, Paul talks about all his afflictions. He's like, yeah, you know what? I was shipwrecked a few times. I got bit by a snake. I got stoned more times than I can count, beaten to the point of death. I was whipped 40 times, uh, or 40 lashes minus one, multiple times. Yeah, my life really sucks. I've been thrown in jail a whole bunch, but guess what? Count it all joy for the furtherance of the gospel. And, and like Paul was like, yeah, those things suck, but God made it so that I would have a thorn in my side, a messenger from Satan who'd go with me. So some people are like, did Paul have a real like thorn in his side? Like, did he fall into a rose bush and it got under his skin and festered and couldn't sleep because every time he'd roll over, he'd have maybe. Uh, I believe that it, it it was like a metaphorical thorn in his side. He had someone who was in his group that literally was the devil's advocate, not in a good way, but literally someone who Paul prayed, God, please take this person away from me because they are driving me crazy. And God said, No, they're there to keep you humble. And Paul had this no person who was with him all the time. Paul's like, hey, man, God's doing some great things. Let's go over to Corinth. This guy's like, nah, man, I think we should go to Cyprus. Paul's like, why? Why? And, and so he had this person, and he said, man, my afflictions are so much, but it's for the furtherance of the gospel. Man, I'm supposed to get all the way through chapter 4, verse 12, and we haven't even made it past verse 4 of chapter 3. This is what he says in verse 4. He says this, for in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it has happened, and you know. So Paul said, hey, we're facing tribulation. Boom, 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 boom. It's going to happen. You're going to face tribulation. But the tribulation you're facing, I'm stealing a little bit of Second Thessalonians thunder. He says, don't worry. The tribulation you're facing is not the great tribulation. It's not the wrath of God. It's the wrath of man. You haven't missed the rapture. It's all good. We're going to get there in a little bit. And he goes on to say this in verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might have been in vain. So Paul just wanted to make sure they were still doing good. And then he says this, picking up in verse 6. 
Timothy is now back with them in Corinth, and he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and of your love and how you are always having good remembrances of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also you. Hey, you want to see us too? You want to hang out? woo Let's have a party. And then he says, Therefore, brethren, in all our afflictions and our distress, we are comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Paul's like, hey, you guys are doing great. Timothy told me everything is good, and we want to see you that much more now. But we're encouraged. In the time that we can't see you, we're built up because you're living for the Lord, and we can't wait to hang out with you to grow even deeper together. He's not like what he says to the Corinth. I want to come to you, but I know if I do, I'm going to be really mad at you because you guys are sinners and God's going to bring the smack down on you. So I don't even come because I know if I do, life's going to be rough. Paul says, man, I want to come hang out with you, Thessalonians. I want you to be perfected. We're going to have a party. It's great. And so that's what he says. And then verse 11 says this. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and let God just bring us to you because we want to hang out and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love toward one another and to all just as we also do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints Paul says hey in the meantime may the Lord bless you and may the Lord make you abound in love for one another. Love one another. Abound in love for one another. We're going to talk a little bit more about that love as we jump into chapter 4. Which Now we're jumping into chapter 4. Yeah, I knew we could do it. This is what it says. Picking up verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Finally now, brethren, we urge you and exhort you. So Paul's like, I've talked about how we were with you. It was fun looking at our past. We were refocusing our present. But now i got to bring the refocusing to a T. If you remember last week, we talked about how it breaks it down into those parts of the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope. And when we looked at that work of faith, we were looking at Paul. He, he was remembering their past. And then as we're now looking at the labor of love, we can see him refocusing their present. He wants them to realize what they are doing and, 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 and how they need to love more. And then we're going to see him um, really push forward in, in, in the last bit for them to remember uh, or, 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 or to long for their future that they have with the Lord. Um, but this is what he says. He's getting to the meat. He's like, finally, brethren, we urge and exhort you. So bringing out both guns here. And he says in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more just as we receive or just as you receive from us how you will walk to please God. Abound more and more, more love, more faith, more hope, more wisdom, more peace, more joy, uh, and, and how to walk before the Lord. He says, for you know what commandments we gave to you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. You ever want to know what God's will is? Oh, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? This is what Paul says right here. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is a theological word. It's a three-stage life of, of, of a believer. There's justification, sanctification, and glorification. This is theology 101. Justification, moment of salvation. God justified you. You are no longer a sinner in God's eyes. 
He sees you just as if you've never sinned. You've been justified. Sanctification kickstarts from the point of justification. Sanctification goes from that point until the time you die. And it is an ongoing process of becoming more and more holy, becoming more and more like God, becoming more and more sanctified. Go figure. Sanctification is the process of becoming sanctified. I don't know if you can use a word to define a word, but hey, there we go. And then glorification happens when we die. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you receive that glorified body. Now you are in your heavenly body. So justification kickstarts into sanctification. Sanctification ends. The Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Glorification. So he says, the will of God is your sanctification. And what does he say? Right after that, he says that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Paul always is referring to sexual immorality first in his list of sins. Does it make that, does it make sexual sin, sexual immorality, whether that be hetero or homosexuality, does that make that more important than other sins? No. The reason why Paul puts it there first is because that is a type of sin that is common to every single man, woman, and child. Here's the reality. Not everyone's a murderer. Not everyone's a thief. But everyone has sexual sin, sexual tendencies, sexual urges that when they're not in the confines of the way God set it up, it causes our lives to spiral out of control. And so what does Paul say? He says, hey, abstain from it. Abstain from it. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. Paul refers to us as vessels. He does it here and he does it other places. Uh, and, and, and when it comes to vessel, this is really cool. And, and, and when I heard this, when I learned this, uh, it just mind-blown kind of moment. Vessel, there's two kinds of vessels in a Greek house. There's a vessel of honor and a vessel of dishonor. Now, the vessel of dishonor is a, is a stone vessel, normally put in the corner of a house where no one wants to see it. Stone vessel set on the ground. Uh, people are like, eh, not so much. And then there's a vessel of honor. It's a golden vessel that's been uh, beaten and mashed, but it's adorned. That's how they make the metal nice. They, they, they beat it and, 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 and form and polish it. They fashion it. All those trials and tribulations, pound and pound and pound, polish, 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 pure gold, refine, refine, refine. But it's a vessel of honor. So the vessel of honor, being this gold vessel that is there for everyone to see, uh, it's like, this is the main thing. Like, you walk into my house, here's my vessel of honor. And God says, hey, be a vessel of honor for me. Paul, Paul writes here, that you might be able to present your vessel with honor. Uh, I think God wants to show us off. God wants to say, oh, man, man that's Sarah. She's a vessel of honor. Oh, that's Ryan, vessel of honor. Because the vessel of dishonor, you actually want to know what that vessel is? What's the garbage receptacle? What? Yeah, it, yeah, it's the toilet. That 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 stone vessel in the corner of the house, that's the poop chute. That's the toilet. That's that's where people go to use the restroom. And uh, God says, hey, you can either be a vessel of honor or you can be a vessel of dishonor. Do you want to be the thing that God says, uh, <laughs> you don't want to see that guy. He's, <laughs> no. Or do you want to be the person that God says, hey, look, my vessel of honor. Paul says, present yourself as a vessel of honor. How do you do that? You abstain from sin. Abstain from sin. Sanctification, sanctification, sanctification. 
Uh, and then he goes on to say, uh, possess your vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Romans has a lot to say about the Gentiles who do not know God and how God sent them over to, to, to their lustful desires because they were wise in their own eyes. We're not going to talk about that tonight. He goes on to say this in verse 6, that no one should be taken advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all such. He says, man, don't mess around with your brothers and your sisters in church uh, because you know what? Uh, God is the first avenger. Sorry, Captain America. God is the first avenger. Uh, and he says this, as we also forewarned you and testify. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but to holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. It says this, therefore he who rejects this does not reject man. Paul says, hey, if you if you don't heed me, if, if you don't listen to this, you're not rejecting me. What else? You're rejecting God. It says this, do not reject God. Uh, or does not reject man, but God, who also has given us his Holy Spirit. So I don't really want to reject God, and I don't think any of us do. So sanctification, present ourselves as holy, as honorable vessels, not dishonorable vessels. Verse 9 says this, it says, But concerning brotherly love, or brotherly love, but brotherly love, L-O-V-E, uh, it says this, You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God. To love one another. What does First John tell us? First John tells us, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. Anyone who loves is born of God. He who loves not, does not know God. For God is love. Love one another. And it's so cool that he says, I don't even have to write you about brotherly love. Because you're taught by God. We're also told in First John that we can't love, we don't understand love, and the way we understand love is because God showed us his love. God shows us his love. It says, we do not love God, but God first loved us. God has taught us how to love. And he's given us the example of love. First John also tells us that there's no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for a friend. How do we lay down our lives? Does that mean we go jump and push someone out of the way of a moving car and we get hit by a car? Maybe. But I think so much more than that, it's on a personal level. Die to yourself. Lose your life, lose your reputation, lose your ego, and humble yourself. Be a servant. Be like Paul. Count it all lost. Going out to the Lord. And serve and serve for a brother, for a sister. Die to ourselves. There's no greater love than this. And Christ. Christ showed us his love. God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would have everlasting life. Here's the thing. God shows us how to love. So now we take that example, just like Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We follow that example. We love one another. And it goes on to this, that it may increase in you more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. He says, hey, don't go out and cause a fuss. Love, love, and work. Do your stuff. Be an example so that the world can look at you 
and see, hey, those Christians, they're not lacking anything. I need what they have. Jesus tells us that they will know you are my followers by your what? By your fruit, by your works, by your actions. Let your love be in, not just, as 1 John tells us, not just in word, but in deed, in truth. Let your actions speak louder than words, and let your actions be love. Love, love, love. What the world needs now is love. And we have it. Because, what did that verse in 1 John 4, 8 say? For God is love. If you put your faith in Jesus, and you have the Holy Spirit taking up residence inside of you, you have the love of God in you, and you've got one duty. Go share that love with the world. And may the love of God, may the love of Christ, compel those who are lost, compel those who are hurting, to those who are being destroyed, may the God of love who is in you, may that he draw men to himself so they can experience the love, the grace, the mercy, the peace that comes with being a child of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's be encouraged. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is living and active. Uh, God, and I just pray that each and every single one of us, that we would walk away uh, with something, that we would be transformed and changed by your word. Uh, God, may we be people who, when tribulation and trials come, uh, God, may we know that that produces hope in us and that your hope does not disappoint. And God, as we go through those things, and as we go through this process of sanctification, may we learn to abound more and more in your love. And God, may we share your love with the world around us. So God, we thank you. God, we praise you. In your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said,